all. Welcome to the Marty Smith's America podcast. This is volume 51, and it is awesome. I spend a lot of time today, probably too much time for his taste. Uh, we'll need to do a second installment because I kept Chase Rice so long. I'm sure some of you guys are fans of Chase's, and some of you guys may not have heard of him. He is an accomplished singer-songwriter in Nashville, Tennessee, making his way through the country music maze as an artist and as a writer. And he has had the most fascinating life. He is such a young man still and someone that I greatly admire, and he knows that. We've been friends for some time now. But I've told him before, and I've actually written before, that he is like Forrest Gump. This guy played college football at the University of North Carolina. He almost won the CBS reality show Survivor. Which is when I first found out. I'm a That's huge That's how you know about him, Travis? Yes. The reunion after they announced the winner, they had him sing one of his songs, which kind of got him going. And people realized, okay, this guy wants to now try singing. And that's how I became a fan of him was from the show. Many of you who may be fans of Chase might not even know that he participated in Survivor. And you will hear much of that during our interview to come. It's so interesting to me because I've known him a long time and we've never ha- really had that conversation. It's not something he's especially been interested in in the past and you'll hear why and you'll hear him expound on what he takes with him from the survivor experience. I learned so much and I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation on so many levels. So again, college football, he decides he's going to be, he's going to use the athleticism that obviously was displayed as a college football player for the Tar Heels and try to become a NASCAR pit crew member, which he did. And then from there, he moves on to Nashville, Tennessee. He shows up in Nashville, Tennessee, and you'll hear him kind of gloss over this during the interview. I didn't expound upon it during the interview because I've asked him about it several times. Uh Maybe in our second installment, which Travis, you should know he texted me about, He said, man, we definitely need to do the second half of this. Because, guys, I had so many questions in his vulnerability. Travis, is that the right word? He was very vulnerable. Very vulnerable. In what he said. And so maybe we'll dive back into that. But just for your knowledge as listeners, he shows up in Nashville, Tennessee, and he is rooming with the boys from Florida Georgia Line. And those three, together with several other guys – wrote Cruise, which is the largest selling single in the history of country music. That's it. I I mean, it's unbelievable. And so you'll just, his insight on so many different things is so appreciated. And I've always enjoyed spending time with Chase. Lainey loves the guy. She feels like we could be brothers, which is a compliment to me because uh, he's a handsome somebody. You'll learn a lot about him. I did, and again, I've known him for some time now. Before we get to my conversation with Chase and how my weekend went, we'll get into that after a while. It was quite a weekend. Uh, I want to remind you guys that ZipRecruiter is awesome. Travis, hiring used to be hard. I'm not, I'm not too sure if I've, I've gotten through to you about that. Chase could have used ZipRecruiter before he became this big superstar with all the jobs that he's had. As many jobs as he's had, he could be the CEO of ZipRecruiter. He could be the face of ZipRecruiter. 
He should be the face of ZipRecruiter. We need to get on that. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. It used to be so hard to hire. Not anymore. Today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash Marty. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over a 100 of the web's leading job boards, and they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. In fact, ZipRecruiter, Travis, is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Not a bad percentage. Yeah, it's a pretty good percentage. I mean, I'm I'm no aerodynamicist, but that's 80% where I come from, four out of five, right? Within the first day, man, within the first day, I I wouldn't want to be that 20%. I wouldn't want to be that fifth guy because you kind of look at yourself going, man, what did I do wrong? Right now, you guys, my listeners – on the Marty Smith America podcast, can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address. ZipRecruiter.com slash Marty. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash M-A-R-T-Y. ZipRecruiter.com slash Marty. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Now it's time for my conversation with Chase Rice. It's a real pleasure for me to welcome country music singer-songwriter Chase Rice to the Marty Smith's America podcast. We've been buddies for a long time, and I've long admired Chase as a person, as a man, above all else. His kindness and his gumption have inspired me for a long time, and I love where his compass points. It's really difficult, guys, to encapsulate Chase's life. I've written about his life before on ESPN.com, but we've not caught up in a while. Let me just give you guys a quick synopsis. He played football at the University of North Carolina. He nearly won Survivor. He was a NASCAR pit crew member, and he's an established singer-songwriter in a town that chews those folks up and spits them out. That ain't bad, young man. And I, uh, you know, as we record this interview, Chase's current single, Eyes on You, it's done so well at radio. So, Chase, at this point, driving down the highway in your tour bus, heading to the next show, when you hear all of that now, at this stage in your life, at such a young stage in your life, as you hear me rattle off those accomplishments, any one of which would define most lives, what do you consider? Um, I, honestly, what you you said it better than I could probably say it. And you said you said you love where my compass points, and that, I've never heard anybody say that before, to be honest. Um, but I consider that to be the greatest thing that I've got going for me right now. I mean, yeah, it's crazy to hear everything I've done. It's, 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 it's hard for me to wrap my head around it because it's just been my life. But through it all, I've had so many ups and downs. I've figured out so many different ways to try to screw my life up. Um, and it's like, God's just been sitting there the whole time. Like, Nope, I'm here. Every time, every time I try to, you said my compass points, every time I try to go the wrong way, uh, when I turn around, and it's involved me turning around. I've had to do a lot of work with, with a lot of good people in my life to to make myself turn around. And but every time I turn around, God's right there saying, "I got you, man. I'm right here." Um, so I think that's the place where I am in my life right now. That's the greatest spot that I am because 
man, it, with all the things you've said I've done, if I don't take my time to try to take care of who I am as a person first, um, it's gone south real, real fast, real fast. I can relate. And the reason that I use that terminology or that phrasing about where your compass points is because it's the same exact philosophy I've taken. And mine got way off the off the correct directions at times. And yeah. I know, you know, you and I have had these conversations before about that. And I would love to just get your perspective when you say that, you know, that you had to turn it around. What are you turning around from? Um, well, for me, it's from the, the where I go is, man, I life gets so busy. I, I, some of the greatest quotes I've ever heard is like, one of the greatest things I've heard is you, you have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Um, and that is the exact opposite of how I've lived my life. I, I want to hurry. I want to get to the next thing. I want to, I want to do as much as I possibly can. But then the next quote I heard was, uh, I've tried something about, I've tried to go fast enough to keep up with myself, but the faster I go, the more myself I leave behind. Wow. And so that's, that's where I start. I start running. I start going nonstop. I, I stop waking up and spending time with God. And when I talk about God, I don't talk about him like I'm this Jesus and I'm just some holy man. No, I'm as screwed up as anybody on this planet. And that's what, but knowing that has saved my life. I, I mean, continue to run, you know, you continue to run from, from the things that matter in life, the family, the, um, the, the people that just love you. And you try to run and crawl in a corner and hide away from it. And when I try to do that, that's what I mean. I'm just running as fast as I can from anything that's real. And then all of a sudden I realize. This isn't how life's supposed to be lived. So I'll turn around, and that's what I mean. Like, no matter how far you run, you'll turn around, and God's right there. He's like, I'm right here, man. I've been here the whole time. I'm just waiting for you to turn around. And and that that doesn't mean that I've figured anything out. It just means that I've I've at least figured out a way to continue to, to fight this, this. Everybody has battles in life, and I've continued to fight. And that's led to a lot more joy and the success of the music right now, especially with like Eyes on You and how crazy everything's starting to get again. It's like, oh, but this time around, I can enjoy it because 2014 and following the success of Cruise, following the success of Ready Set Roll, Eyes on You, or uh, Ready Set Roll, going to want it tonight. It was like, oh, this is easy. I'm going to be in an arena in two years. I'm the, I'm the man. And then you realize real quickly when it's all taken away from you uh, that you're not the man. Um, and but this time around, I'm not sitting here saying I'm the man. I just have a big, big song on the radio, and I'm enjoying it. I'm like, man, this is this is a lot more fun than the other way. It's so fun to see the success, and isn't it interesting how, with time and obstacles and the perspective that comes with those things, how much better it is to live in the moment and be humble about success rather than haughty about success. It just feels so oh, much more fulfilling, man. Oh, it's huge. I mean, it's what, I mean, we're, we're like, I, I've heard it said so many times, we're just here to have fun. Like, no, we're not. We're, we're here to enjoy life, enjoy everything that God's given us. Uh, and this time around, I'm finally doing that. And my God, like you said, it's just so much more, it is way more fun this way. So when you're so much more appreciative and, and I don't, I don't think you can be appreciative of it until you're knocked to your knees. Um, and that happened to me the last two years with trying to rebuild, leaving my label, um, having two songs that failed after three songs that were so huge. And then I switch over to Broken Bow Records. And, and not only – I don't look at Broken Bow Records as the best thing that's 
that the best thing going is not the success we're having at radio. The best thing going is the fact that we're having all the success at radio with the people that I'm having it with. Like Lee Adams, the head of my label, she's I'll I'll be close with her forever. And it's just a lot more fun to do it this way and be able to appreciate it while it's happening. Like you said, live in the moment. And that's a cliche saying, but it, it's so true. Um, you got if you don't live in the moment, man. If you're looking at the past, or you're looking forward to what's next. You're never really going to enjoy life. You're never going to live life the way it's supposed to be lived. Let's discuss that uh, Eyes on You video for just a moment. Uh, as I watched it this past time preparing for this interview, I realized it has more than 12 million views. And based wow. on that video, you can ski, snowboard, fly fish, and make <laughs> one mean-ass campfire. Uh, how accurate <laughs> is all of that? And where were you guys for that shoot? That was that was fun, man. We were in Mammoth Lakes, California, and Brian, who was the director for the video, he just basically asked me, he said, what would you want to do? Um, and I was like, man, I, he said, if you if you had a perfect day, what would you want to do? I said, I'd fly fish because I just love fly fishing. I'm a, I'm a good fly fisherman. Um, I'm not amazing, but I'm, I'm good. I've, I've, everything I do, like I put everything into it, and I'm like, I want to get good at this. So I've gotten pretty good at it. I'm not amazing, though. Um, as you can see, the fish was not exactly the biggest fish you've ever seen. <laughs> but um, uh, snowboarding was in Mammoth Lakes. But, yeah, anyway, so I told him, I said, I want to fly fish, I'd want to snowboard, and I want to do a road trip with my friends and camp out. That would be all I'd want to do. And, I mean, that's that would be in my ideal day outside of, you know, hanging out with my niece and nephew. And so we did that. We just did it and filmed it in three days, went from Mammoth Lakes down to, down to uh, Joshua Tree in California and filmed the whole thing. And, Benry was one of my buddies that he did. He's the one who did the backflip. That was not me. Um, and actually the girl that was Benry's girlfriend in the video wasn't, he, he was supposed to have his real girlfriend there. Cause I wanted real friends. I didn't want to fake it. I want, and the girl that was in my girlfriend was actually my girlfriend at the time. And I wanted it to just be real as possible. So, the, but Benry's girlfriend in the video, his girl got sick that morning, real sick. So we actually grabbed the, the girl that fit our skis and we're, I just went to her. I was like, hey, would you want to be in a music video for three days? And she was like, what? Um, and she said, can I make a phone call? So she, I was like, you got to call your boyfriend, don't you? And she was like, yeah, uh, I'm not going to have to do any like kissing scenes or anything, am I? And I was like, no, 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 no. It's just us hanging out. So it was pretty interesting. I'm still friends with that girl. Her name's Haley. Um, and she crushed it. Like She woke up that morning going to work just trying to fit some skis for people. And she ended up doing a music video for three days. So stuff like that. A lot of people it's, have watched it. And 12 million people have seen it now. So hey, it was a lot of fun, and, and, yeah, it's cool that people are enjoying that. What makes a good fly fisherman? Oh, God. I, I, you probably have to talk to a better fly fisherman than me. But um, I, it's not the gear. I know that, man. When I when I first – when I fly fishing is so much – a lot of people are so into the gear, and I was too. Man, the first time I ever went, I was in waders. I had a backpack, a front pack. I had two rods. I had all this stuff, and it was it was the most dumb thing. I was trying to be like Brad Pitt from A River Run Through It, <laughs> and I just looked so stupid. It was like, guys, we're just going to this little creek right here. You don't need to act like you're packing out for three days. And now it's about, for me, it's just, I mean, a lot of technique to it. The cast, But it's not the casting. That's what a lot of people think. It's not about uh, my buddy when, when I first started in Montana. He, was, he kept calling me uh, Casty McCasterson. 
because I would just cast the whole damn day. My fly was never in the water. <laughs> so keep your fly in the water, and that will that's how you catch fish for anybody who wants to get into fly fishing. Don't cast, don't cast too much. So anybody that listens to this podcast regularly or listens to Marty, watches Marty and McGee or knows anything about me knows how much I admire and appreciate songwriting. And one thing about Chase, his record is called Lambs and Lions. And from what I can tell, brother, you had a pen in just about every song on this album. What's the yeah. writing process like for you? How would you describe that? Um, well, I would say, first of all, that I think Lambs and Lions is my first I, I think that's the beginning of my career. I, I, like everything before, it's fun, but I think that's the first time I've ever started, even hinted at starting to figure out who I am as an artist and a, as a writer. Because I'll sit down and, you know, for Eyes on You, for instance, when we wrote that, it was a big thing in Nashville these days is build a track, build a track, build a track, and then write to it. And that's why a lot of music is sounding more pop music in Nashville. I'm not knocking anything. I'm just telling you what it is. And that, that even happened with Eyes on You. We started building this track, started building this track. But what I fell in love with that day was when Ashley Gorley got on the piano, went into the other room, and just started playing the piano and humming along this melody that was similar to what Eyes on You sounds like today. And that's what I'm finding is more successful for me lately because every time you try to build a track and do all this craziness, it's, you get caught up in what trying to write something that sounds like a hit. And all the songs that... I'll be coming out with post eyes on you and that I'm writing right now. The ones that are not going to ever be heard are the ones that we try to write and make hit. The ones that are going to come out are the ones that we just sat down there and wrote and we just poured it out and whatever fell out, fell out to the particular melody. So I, I love writing to a piano. I love finding a melody and finding a, a lyric that, and a topic that feels like it fits that melody. And that's where I am right now. And I'm writing today here in about an hour and a half on the road. A bunch of the Tree Vibes music guys are coming out on the road, and we're going to write, and that, that could all completely change in an hour and a half. But that's that's where I am right now. Find the melody, find the feel, and find lyrics that can match that. Um, now, there's other songs I have that are very – I'll walk into a writer's room, and I'll be like, nah, this isn't the song for these guys this day or these girls this day because – if I have a title and I know exactly where I want that title to go, but I know it's probably not going to be a hit, I don't want to try to chase a hit. I want to I want to be sitting in my house one night with just me and a guitar, drinking some whiskey, whatever, sitting around a fire, and all of a sudden that's when those songs are going to come to life because they may be a little even deeper and meaningful than some of these other songs. So, What's it feel like when an idea like that becomes this copyrighted, piece of art that's forever yeah it's crazy i said this the other day um there's this new pop girl in town that i wrote with the other night and she to me is oh my god her name's taylor and if you've never heard of her you're you probably will soon she's unbelievable she's pop she's pop music but i was sitting there talking to her and we were writing a song for her and i was just said i was like man isn't it crazy that what we're doing right now, we're creating something that didn't exist earlier. Like mm. it didn't exist yesterday, and now all of a sudden it's here. That's so cool to me, and and that's one thing I always took for granted before, and now I don't. It's like, man, I get to write songs for a living, so I'm going to write as many songs as I possibly can, and the bad ones are going to, you know, most of the time pour out, and then all of a sudden you're going to stumble across a great one that 
becomes this thing, like you said, that's a big copyright that everybody hears and sings back. So it's cool that I get to create something that didn't exist yesterday. How many artists in Nashville can do what they want to do, write what they want to write, cut what they want to cut, produce what they want to produce? Oh, um, not not many. (laughs) I think the ones that you hear on the radio – I'd say about half of them, and then, but but to me, the best half are the ones that do what they want to do, the ones that siphon through, the ones that make their way into to arenas, and the ones that become these household names are because, are they aren't because some label made them that. Um, and I'm not saying the labels aren't important. Labels are extremely important. Labels get these songs played on the radio. They get, they put tons of work. I mean, there's so many good people at these labels that are working their asses off. But they're working with the artists, the ones that are most successful, the ones that are working with artists that do what they want to do. Because, and especially in art with music, it's like, it's got to be you. It's got to be real because music is a felt thing. You have to feel it. And if you're not feeling it, um, it ain't going to work. So I think the best ones are the ones that, that do what they want to do and, and write the music that they want to write. And and that to me, I mean, I've heard, I've you and I have talked about this, I've heard so many people, even with eyes on you, it's funny, with eyes on you now, all of a sudden, the last two years, I haven't had people hate me because when you don't have as much success, people don't care. And now that eyes on you's out, I've had a lot more people like that just I'll see comments here and there that they just hate me for whatever reason. I'm like, okay, welcome. Welcome back. Thank you. That leads me to believe that I'm doing something right. Um, because, and at the end of the day, if I listen to those people who aren't saying, I'm not, I mean, I'm not an idiot here. I'm not Chris Stapleton. I don't sound anything like him. He He's a lot more country than me, I'd say, um, especially classic country. But if I try to be Chris Stapleton, I'll sound like an I'll sound like an ass. Like, what would that do for me? I would sound stupid, and that would not be me. So it's like people want to hear a certain thing. Well, what I want as an artist is I want Chris Stapleton to be Chris Stapleton. I want Sam Hunt to be Sam Hunt. I want Thomas Rhett to be Thomas Rhett. Because if they aren't being themselves, then they're they're ripping me off from a product that I want to buy. And me, same for me. If I'm not being myself, then I'm ripping everybody else off from a product that they may want to buy and especially ripping myself off by not being myself. So that to me is what every artist mindset mindset should be. And there'd be a whole, whole lot more success and a whole lot better music out there um, than there even is right now. And I think there's a lot of great music out there still. There really is. And, and coupled with, with the new songs that you've written and cut certainly on lambs and lions, I noticed that. And of course I've heard that you cut this cowboy's hat. And you yeah. did it with Ned Ledoux, Chris's son. Chris Ledoux is a country music and rodeo legend. I cannot wait to hear what you learned about him during your time with Ned. Um, it was that that to me is still pretty surreal. That that's the coolest thing I've ever done in my career, hands down to this point. Um, so we walked the first time I ever met Ned was in the studio that day, but I'm pulling in the parking lot and Ned was walking into the studio and he all of a sudden he just kinda of turned to the side. And it freaked me out. I was like, oh, my God, he looks just like Chris. And I'd never met Chris. He was just a kind of a hero of mine when I was a kid. And it was Chris and Garth Brooks. Those are my two guys. And um, and then I go in the studio. I'm sitting there talking to him. And and me, him, and Mark Sissel, who's the 
band leader for Western Underground, who was Chris's band. We're all just sitting there talking with Mac Mac or no, and Mac McAnally was in the guitar booth getting ready to tune in this guitar. Man, that's a who's who, brother. Uh, exactly. And, and I surrounded this song with that. I did. I mean, I say that I did. I mean, like I said, that's a God thing right there. I'm not that good. Um, <laughs> and this song had those people in it um, because if they weren't a part of it, I would have screwed it up and I would have never put it out because I'm not going to put anything out with Chris Ledoux's name on it. That's not something that would honor Chris Ledoux and his family. So... We're just sitting there talking, me, Mark, and Ned, and, and all of a sudden, Mac McInerney starts starts playing in the studio. He starts playing the guitar picking part for this Cowboys hat, and I we all just stopped. It was like a moment of, oh, my God. It just felt like Chris was in the room out of nowhere, and that was probably the coolest moment I had in the, in the studio, but then afterwards, we go do vocals, and we're just sitting there. Um, by the way, we did it to no click. We did it to no – we wanted the band to feel it. And that was also really cool. It's actually slower than Chris's version, but we wanted it to be felt. And and but we're sitting there hanging out at the studio, and, and Ned's sitting there playing the guitar part, showing me how to play it because I'd never actually attempted it before. And man, it was just hanging out with him, hearing the stories about his dad. It wasn't real to me because as a, I mean, I'm sitting there like an eight year old boy out of nowhere. This is a guy that I grew up on. This is a hero of mine that I never got to see live, but I'm hearing it straight from the voice of his son who's singing a song with me. And Ned and I are extremely similar guys in, in the fact that we just want to be ourselves. And, and that's one thing. I mean, that's one thing you can always take away from Chris was he was never, he didn't even move to Nashville. I mean, he talks about it in his songs, my Nashville friends think I'm strange to make my home out on the range. He talks about it in his songs. He's like, this is just me. Uh, you're, I think that's probably where I learned that the most from was a guy like Chris Ledoux as a kid, just being himself. He never wanted to move to Nashville because he was happy where he was. And Ned's the exact same way. He's not gonna he's not gonna change who he is as a man uh, to have success in music. He, he's he's honoring his family name and he's honoring his dad with with his music. This might be sacrilegious, but I personally believe. Chris Ledoux's version of Tougher Than the Rest is better than Bruce Springsteen's. And if those of you who don't know the song, find it. Uh, Bruce Springsteen wrote it, and more often than not, the writer of the song sings it with greater passion than someone who simply might record it. I want to know your thoughts on this because uh, I just feel like Chris's version of that song is so magical. Yeah, I mean that my thoughts would be unfair almost because I'm I'm very biased on that one. Um, yeah. I'm a I'm a huge Ledoux fan. I mean, uh, I think a lot of people a lot of people will like anything an artist will put out sometime, even if it's bad, because they just love the artist that much, which is cool. I mean, that, that speaks a lot about the artist. Um, and I'll take a Chris Ledoux version of anything over over Bruce Springsteen. And that's not knocking Bruce Springsteen. That's just how much I love Chris Ledoux. I agree with you. I think it's better. <laughs> but I'm a so, Ledoux fan, so I'm biased. Let's discuss what you carry with you from you know each day, from some of those aforementioned amazing experiences you've had in your life. And let's start with college football. I would love to know, uh, how do you carry the lessons you learned at Carolina with you every day? Um, I'd say the biggest thing for me that I learned – was it's funny because both of them are failures um the biggest thing that i learned and that i would tell anybody that's young in sports or in anything in life 
is I was jealous. I was very jealous when I got hurt um, as a as a junior. I was the stud, you know. I was, you know, deep one of the better players on our defense, and it was my time. And then I get hurt first game of junior year, miss out the entire season, basically miss out the entire next. I, I, it ruined my career. Um, but what it didn't, what what I did wrong was I didn't go to Bruce Carter, who was my backup and say, all right, Bruce, you're a freshman, and you suck right now. I'm going to do my best to make sure by the end of the year you don't suck <laughs> because we want to win football games. And and as, instead of doing that, I, I thought about myself only. I didn't think about the team. I thought about um, what can I do to make myself better so I can get back and, and take take my spot back, which little did I know that was never going to happen. I couldn't play football the way I could, you know, the way I was before, and I didn't know that, but – um, so where I am with that now, um, the competitive side of me looks at other artists. I mean, I've had, uh, toward in the very beginning, I moved in with Florida Georgia line the, before they were Florida Georgia line. We just started writing songs together. Um, uh, we ended up writing crews and, and that blows up for them. And that because of the experience in, in football, I, I was a, you know, more mature person, you know, these last few years. And it was, it, I kept having to tell myself, forget about them, forget about their success, forget about what they're doing and, and just enjoy it for them. Don't be jealous of it. Enjoy it for them and focus on myself and what, what I can do to make myself the best artist I can and forget about them while enjoying what they're, what's happening for them as friends. Same thing with these other artists that have opened for me. I mean, every single artist this year that was up for new artists of the year, um, open for me on a, on a tour. They didn't just open for me on some shows. They opened for me on an entire tour, like Luke Combs, uh, Michael Ray, uh, Kane Brown, I think is one of them. I'm not sure. There was a few of them. But instead of looking at that saying, man, what's happening? Why are these guys blowing up and, and whatever, whatever the hell's going on with them? I mean, enjoy their success. Be like, that doesn't change a thing for me. Enjoy what they got going on, you know, even promote them, help them in any way that I can. And, and I can focus on my music and what makes me my best as opposed to being jealous. Um, and that's the biggest lesson I learned from, from Carolina and football was, man, don't focus on other people, be happy for other people. And that'll allow me to focus on myself and what makes me the best version of me. That is so well said and great perspective. And it's, I'm Florida's turned 43 last Monday. And this oh, past man, fall, you're up there now, man. Dude, I'm older than pond water. See you, uh, but I look 32, right? <laughs> that's right. So that's all that matters. I uh, I was having a pity party this past fall for the first several months, a couple months of the football season, and I was not focusing on what I have and the tremendous blessings in my life, but rather what I didn't, and yeah. it was all encompassing for me. It was. It it was all consuming. And then I woke up one day and I'm like, you sorry ass. You sorry yeah. ass. What are you doing? You are so blessed with a wonderful, challenging job that isn't a job. Yeah, You exactly. have a wonderful, beautiful marriage. You have three healthy children. Who, how dare you? have this attitude right and everything changed for me just then 
I started to be so appreciative for what I have rather than even considering more than the pity party what I don't. And that is when you have self-confidence. And when you have that self-confidence, what happens? You are willing to champion others' successes. 100 percent when you're doing that that's that's the way life's supposed to be lived that's freedom because it's fulfillment like you you just said man it, it's consuming i mean negativity and and jealousy and all it's consuming i mean it's all you wake up and it's all you think about mm-hmm. and you end up just it's just hate you end up filling yourself with just hate and then you start hating yourself and then what then it all just snowballs into this person that sucks i mean that's not how yes. we're supposed to live <laughs> and and like I said, I mean, I'm I'm excited for other people's success. I'm I'm uh, I'm most excited for myself as a man that I can finally do music as I want to do it. I can finally enjoy life as I want to enjoy it, and I'm having fun. And like I said at the end of the day, I, other people's success doesn't change who I am or what I do. It, it just me realizing that allows me to finally say, "Hey, I'm in a great place in life," and and the more success everybody's having in life, I mean, I saw, and this is going to sound absolutely crazy, but I saw this video last night. It was by Lil Dicky, um, the rapper Lil Dicky, and it's about our planet. It's some video about our planet. I think it's brand new. It's got like Ed Sheeran. It's got like 27 superstar people in it. But he did say it one, and it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen, but it's actually pretty clever. <laughs> and... He says at one point, like, why are we doing this to ourselves? We're all people. Like, let's build each other up. And that's, it was, the way he said it, though, was not cliche. It was, it was so well said. And that's the truth. I mean, what the hell does it hurt me if, if somebody else is having success? It doesn't. I get to go out and do music every night, and that's all that matters. And the, and the only way I can do music every night is by doing it the best that I can do it and not robbing people or myself from this gift that I've got. I love it, man. Uh, so, as a former. University of North Carolina player, uh, what do you make of Mac Brown's return to Chapel Hill? What are your expectations for Coach Brown? Yeah, welcome back, Mac. I love it. He, uh, I, I love the move. I think it's great. I think Carolina was, and I liked Fedora. I just don't know what happened at the end to make it go where it went. And you got to win games. Um, but I, I really love Mac. I love that he's back. I think what he did for the program in the nineties was was huge. Um, and I think he can do it again. Um, it's not Texas. There's not as much pressure, and you can tell. I mean, I was with him a couple weeks ago, and you can tell he's just happy. He's having fun coaching again. And when you're doing that and, and you're able to go in and be the best coach you can be and bring the positivity positivity from these other coaches, you can take one team that's the same exact players and put great coaches around them and positivity and, and building them up instead of ripping them down, and all of a sudden you got a hell of a football team. And I think he can turn them around quick, um, especially in the ACC, because I don't think the ACC is – I don't know if it's that strong of a conference or if everybody's just that damn good and they beat each other. I don't know. Especially but, that side of the conference. Right now that side I, of the conference is just not very strong. Right, and it's, which is weird because they brought in Tech and Miami to change it all these years ago, and then it just kind of – it just hasn't been what it needs to be. So – you bring in Mac Brown, and then you got Clemson. If Florida State can get back, and also North Carolina's right there, um, which they should be. There's no reason North Carolina can't be one of the best teams in the country every year. And I'm talking top ten, top five every year. And I think Mac he's Brown's getting players, there. man. If, if, I, I've I seen he's getting players. So he, he ended last year's class a lot stronger than it was, 
And then, I mean, the players that I – I was in the main lobby two weeks ago, and, and Coach Thigpen, who was my coach back then, is back, and he introduces me to this, these two linebackers who look like grown men already. <laughs> and I'm just like – he's like, yeah, man, I'm choosing between here in North Carolina or Alabama. And I'm like, what? Yeah, there <laughs> that's, you go. That's, that's the type of players you got to have and to win and to beat teams like Alabama. You're not going to beat them by letting them get all the players. So he's getting the guys – and the, uh, if he locks down the state, that's the thing for me, is if North Carolina kids go home, stay home right there in North Carolina, it, it'll be top five team every year. I know you're a sports fanatic. What what sports do you pay the closest attention to when you're out on the road, and what athletes maybe have you gotten close with that inspire you? My life has gotten weird with sports because I love football, obviously. Football is what i played my whole life. But – this is the weirdest thing. I went to a game over the English Premier League game over in, in Manchester last year, and I was Soccer all about guy. I wanted to be a dude. I've gotten so into it, and I think it's because <laughs> I've played sports my whole life. I haven't played soccer since I was a little kid, and I don't know a whole lot about it. Well, I didn't. Now I know a little bit, but I get to I get to finally just be a fan. I don't have to be an analyst. I don't have to study the game. I just get to be a fan, which is why I enjoy it. And but I went to a Man City game, and I, I wanted all I knew was Man United. I was like, man, I just want to be a Man United fan. But Man City was the only team in town, and they took such good care of us. And uh, luckily, I, I picked a hell of a time to be a Man City fan because they won the Premier League last year. They they could win it again this year. But I love soccer because I get to just be a fan. But but man, it's football is always my sport. That'll always be. I, I don't care about basketball. I went to UNC, and I genuinely just don't care about basketball. <laughs> not my sport um love watching baseball mitch moreland has become a real good buddy of mine and he seeing he's the first guy that i've ever first friend i've ever had that was in a championship game when i was last year with the red sox and my god you know this probably better than i do but when you have an actual friend in these world series and in the finals whatever it is it is so much more intense um and yeah, man, it, it damn near killed me last year when the Red Sox were in the World Series. But, but it, yeah, baseball and football for sure. One of the coolest moments I've ever had. Uh, I'm close with Jake Peavy, and we've had Jake yeah. on this podcast. And of course, he's a Cy Young winner, and he won World Series in 13 with the Red Sox, and then 14 with the Giants. And to to be on that ride with him was it is so emotional you ride that oh train man so so dramatically because you just every want to pitch. see your friends have that success every pitch and that's what's so so tough about the world series and like i said having friends that is oh my god every single pitch is so is the most, is the most important pitch ever so it's it's makes it tougher but it makes it a lot more fun when they win so I've already kept you too long. I'll only get into a couple other things, but that means we have, we're going to have to have a round two of this because I probably have 20 more questions. We won't get into all that. (laughs) I know, man, you know, I'll talk to you anytime. I know being your buddy for a long time now, you don't enjoy talking about Survivor, but I do want (laughs) to ask you one thing. What from that experience is lasting? Well, I'll say the reason I never wanted to talk about survivors because I, when I moved to Nashville, I didn't want to be that that guy that you know went on a reality TV show and then tried to have a music career. Um, mm-hmm. So I, that's why I went on as a NASCAR pit crew worker. Also, that was my actual job at the time. Um, 
but I just wanted it to be about the music. I wanted it to be all about the music. And now that it's about the music, I don't care. I'll talk Survivor. Um, it. I, I, first of all, I learned that I, I didn't realize that I just think way. That was probably the first time in my life that you get ever you get exposed to all your negative stuff um, on the show, especially if the producers don't like you. And they they did a fine. I mean, I don't. They did a good job with me and all that. But it did show me, man. I I get in my head way too much, um, overthinking things, overanalyzing things, and that was the biggest thing I took from that. Was which, at the end of the day, why shouldn't you? I mean, if you see two people over there talking, and your first thought is, "Oh, are they talking about me? Am I going to be gone?" Like, well, that's kind of a it's a good thought to probably have because they probably are, and they probably do want you gone. Because at the end of the day, none of them want you there because they want to win the million bucks. Um, but that was where that was one thing I learned from that show was like get out of your head a little bit, stop overthinking things, enjoy life more, um, and just like I said, it's taken me so long to get to this point where I am right now to live in the moment, and enjoy life. But back then, uh, if I went on again, well, I never would. I've been asked twice, and I'm just it's just not my thing. Um, but if I ever went on again, I, I bet my experience would be a whole lot different because I wouldn't be thinking, man, I have to win, I have to get to the end, I have to do this, I have to do that. I'd just be enjoying the ride. And uh, I'd at least have a whole lot more fun doing it. What's it like to go that long without eating? When you got there, did you know how to like, spare a fish? And I, I mean, I I don't think I could go that long without eating food, man. Uh, it, well, believe it or not, I was only hungry twice. Like you got to get that hunger feeling in your stomach. I, that only happened. You lose twice. a lot of weight though. Yo, yeah, I lost thirty eight pounds. Yeah, but it, I, so your cravings take over. Like your brain just is nuts. Your you're making up recipes in your head for what you're going to do when you get home. I mean, my mom filmed me when I got to the grocery store when I got home because I was so acting so weird. Um, <laughs> so your cravings take over, but hunger-wise, I only felt that twice um, because I think your body just starts shutting down. Um, so it's brutal, but the cravings, the mental game is what really gets you. The physical part is not that terrible. But the, and then, I mean, to go do an interview down the beach, I mean, when they call your name, you're just like, ah, oh, you can't hardly stand up because you're just so weak. But you walk your way down there slowly and, and you just get it done. Last thing I wonder there is, how would you describe the tension in the air in real life when you're actually in the voting process? Well, it's at tribal council or whatever that thing's called. Yeah. Um, weird enough, I never felt that tense because I think you only feel that tension if you feel like your head's on the chopping block. Mm-hmm. And I was never, I only got one vote against me the entire time. And I don't know how that happened. I, would, I, I should have been voted out the first week. I don't know how the hell I did that. But, <laughs> um, man, I it was intense because you know somebody's going home but you want them out of there because that gives you a chance to get a million bucks and the, the tough parts were when you had to vote out somebody that you're close to that was re- that was god awful because you you're hurting somebody you're not for me I, you're not just playing a game at that point you're actually breaking somebody's trust and i get that that's part of the game but it still sucks to do um so that's tough that's the hardest part for me was voting out people that that you wanted there that you just couldn't save or couldn't figure out a way to you know keep them around how often have you been asked to do reality tv i know you just said you got asked to do survivor a couple more times what about the, all those other shows They're like 50 reality shows uh nah, nobody's really ever asked me seriously i've been asked a few times and one was a a music show that they were talking about doing this was recent 
but it was, I was just going to be on there as me. Like, it's just, they mm-hmm. were just going to follow some stuff we were doing, but through the process, my God, I could have told you when we got off the phone, that lady was like, Nope, he ain't doing it because she started asking me all these leading questions like the survivor producers do. And that is not cool with me. It's, it's, if you want to ask a question and get a real answer, um, you better ask it and just leave it at that. Stop trying to get me to give you your answer that you want. Um, so that put an end to that one real quick. I was like, listen, lady, I don't need this and I don't need you. And I was just honest with her. I, this is, I'm very happy where I am in life. And that, that's to me is the problem with reality TV is, is it, first of all, it ain't reality. Um, it's just drama and people just fake because they want to portray themselves a certain way. And that's, you and I have talked enough about that. I'm, I'm going to be me, and if you love it or hate it, that's who I am. So I won't be doing reality TV anymore, um, <laughs> and I'm happy with that. So a couple more questions about real life. We won't talk about reality <laughs> TV anymore. We'll talk about real life, and then I'll let you go. But we are going to do a part two because I have other – I have so many questions about Nashville and all that. Yeah, dude, so whenever. you show up in Nashville, and you're a very young man. What yeah. did you hope to accomplish in Nashville? Um, I would say exactly what's happening, to be honest with you. I never thought it would fail. I never thought we wouldn't work. I wanted to write songs with, you know, the hit songwriters, the biggest songwriters that were there. Um, the cool part was that didn't happen because they wouldn't give us the time of day because we had to earn that. So we just started doing it ourselves. And what I hoped would happen was is, is exactly what happened. And it happened in a different way. It took longer. It took a different route than I expected it to take. Like I said, through all these failures, but then I would never change that for the world. But I wanted to write songs that were me. I wanted to write songs that were not just trying to be a hit song, but it was just, it was me. And I, I've stuck to that. I mean, I've got songs on my Lambs and Lines record, Amen. That song is as deep as it can get. And that's actually me as an artist because I didn't write that one, but it hit so hard at home with me. Um, I wanted to stick to who I was as a person, and I wanted to put that person in the songs. And I think, like I said, the weird part is I think I'm just now getting to that part. But I wanted to be me and write songs that I wanted to write, and I'm doing that. Last thing, what's the most important song of your career? Jack Daniels and Jesus. I'd wow. say like if it all if it all ended tomorrow, like I don't think of like, okay, what's the biggest hit? You know, Eyes on You right now is by far my biggest song. Um, but Jack if if it all ended tomorrow, uh, I would want that one to to you know, that that to me would be the one that would define me because it's it's a song about getting lost, it's a song about redemption, it's very real. Um, I need to put an acoustic version of that out, like just me and a guitar, because that's how I play it live. I may put a live version out, actually. And, and yeah, it's just so real. To me, it's it's my, and I don't compare it to this in greatness or, or level of success, but it, for me, it's Garth Brooks has a dance, and I have Jack Daniels and Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, I mean, even last night, I wrote that years ago. And how I almost teared up playing it last night live. And that a song that can do that all these years later, is, it shows the power. Well, I couldn't be prouder of you, man. And, and as I said off the top, not only do I admire your ability as an artist and what you say, but it's the person you are. And you're a great friend and a great, great guy. And we appreciate your time so much. I'm so thrilled for all of your success. I'll come see you out on the, on the road here soon. 
Dude, come on out. We can do the next one in person. That'd be fun. And then you can come to the show or whatever. Be well, brother. Great to chat. Yeah, great with you. talking to you, Marty. What stands out to me most about that conversation is, first of all, it just reminded me what a good person Chase is. And second, how vulnerable he was discussing his flaws and discussing his faith and discussing how every one of us has to really work to find who we are. It's often difficult to find who we are because we build these walls around who we really are and we don't want to let our true selves find that person. And when we do that, then we can truly live freely and reconcile the mistakes we've made. I've made so many. I've made hurtful mistakes I want back so bad I can't even describe how bad. But once you're willing to kind of tear down those walls and pull out the sledgehammer and start beating on those walls, then you can start you can start that process. And I found it to be so fascinating and I'm so appreciative that Chase shared that with us. Among all those other amazing things. And Lainey will be thrilled by the survivor aspect of this because she said to me, she was Travis, I will tell you, a couple weeks ago we had McDreamy on, Patrick Dempsey the great actor from Grey's Anatomy, and he's a racer and is just such an interesting guy. And Lainey was thrilled that we got a little bit of Grey's Anatomy in there, and she will be super pumped that we got some Survivor out of Chase. Marty, I realized that happy wife, happy life. So I'm just trying to make your life easier. So I'm just going to start booking guests that Lainey wants. I'm, d- I'm done thinking about like you or our, our listeners and what they want. I'm just going to try to make Lainey happy, and then everything else will be good to go, right? Yeah, man, stop going after like Peyton Manning. Yeah, I'm, I'll, tell Peyton, after, I'll tell Peyton's people, sorry, we're going to have to pass. Laney has the t- people that she wants. Tell Peyton, thanks, but no thanks. We have to go after the real stars like Snooky. <laughs> I'll get Snooky next, <laughs> just for Laney. How would that interview go? Oh, my gosh. I don't think she'd be able to understand. You guys can talk about frankly. the Jersey Shore, though. We could t- have plenty to say about the Jersey Shore. I mean, you know, she's from there. Actually, I don't think she is from there. I think that's a farce, Travis. But she I goes, think but she's all visited. of those original Jersey Shore folks on their, quote, reality show, I think they were all imports from elsewhere, probably, if I'm not but mistaken. You're, you're not from there either, and you go there. So you guys can just talk about your I, – I assume you probably hang out at the same crowds and same, same bars and clubs. So you can talk about yeah, those. I don't, I don't have a reality television show – that is completely beyond comprehension and completely sensationalized in the effort to grow something from infertile soil. We can ask her what cans, what cans beer she drinks. What cans y'all got, Snook? <laughs> no, but it's funny that you brought up Survivor though, Marty, because, uh, like Laney, I'm a huge Survivor fan. And when Chase said that he was getting inside his own head, that's something that when I was watching his season that I saw instantly and, one of those things where I was wondering if that was going to be the reason that he ended up getting voted out or not winning is because he was his own head was kind of messing with him. And it's interesting that you see it before someone else sees their own kind of faults. And he had to wait until he watched it back to realize, you know, his mind was getting the best of him. And, you know, as a fan, I already I knew that before he knew it. But for him to Isn't realize it wonderful, that, yeah. Isn't the evolution wonderful, though, that he first of all, when he watched it, he was willing to admit that that's what he was seeing because so many times back to what I said a moment ago, the human condition is such that our insecurities so often drive our narrative. 
So we build up these walls around those insecurities and thereby don't let ourselves peek at the true issue. And he was willing to do that. And that was one reason he and I bonded as friends all those years ago. Because both we, we had this, we, we began our relationship with those types of conversations. They were way too deep, way too quickly. And I mean, for, for a, for a standard meeting, but it really resonated with, with one another. And quite frankly, I've had several conversations like that. One thing that we did not get into and one reason that Chase and I began our, our relationship that way is he lost his father entirely too young and I lost both my parents entirely too young. I've had these same kinds of conversations with Cole Swindell and anybody that knows anything about Cole or is a fan of Cole's knows he's still making his way through all those emotions of losing his father too quickly. So it's a fraternity you don't want to be in, but, and, and, you know, both those guys are very creative people. They are introspective, vulnerable people. And so uh, I just, I, I personally really enjoy those types of conversations. And in round two with Chase, which we will do here eventually, uh, we'll get into that, how he still carries his daddy with him. We need to do and, it in person, though. This next yeah, one needs to be in person because he's one of those guys that you, you just seem like you want to have a beer with him. That's like that's the best compliment I could give him is he seems like a guy you'd want to be stuck at an airport with. And I think we need you and him together, maybe a couple cold ones before he goes on and stage sure. to perform. That, I think that's how part two needs to be. I think we should do that. Maybe ZipRecruiter will pay for it. I would Hope like y'all that. are listening. You, uh, you pay, pay producer Travis to go down there too. I know that a bunch of you guys who listen to this podcast are country music people too. And if you've heard Cole's song, You Should Be Here, I, I, it's, it's hard for me to listen to that song. That's a difficult moment for me, but I, but I have to because I live it every day. And my conversations that I've had with Cole about that song, we'll send each other texts every now and then about it. If I hear it or I see it or I'm thinking about my dad or whatnot, uh, I'll, he'll be on TV sometimes. You know, he'll be on a show or he'll be playing one of the award shows or, whatnot and i'll just shoot him a note telling him uh, i'm proud of him and that he, i know his old man's proud of him uh it, again this is off on a tangent i didn't expect to go down but that that's one of the reasons that you hear the chase rice that you hear in this interview is because he experienced that loss crushing loss no matter what your relationship is with your dad your dad's a compass and you can always lean on him and ask him for answers and more often than not he has the right one and suddenly that's gone and that's not easy to reconcile it's not easy to accept and it takes a lot of us a long time but i appreciate that boy man he's a good egg he's just getting started he's just getting started really finding his stride um in as i said earlier a real difficult difficult landscape man look we see these artists on tv and we hear these artists on the radio but know this, if you guys haven't been to Nashville, there are guys on bar stools at Tootsie's at 3 o'clock in the afternoon playing to five and six people drinking beer at the bar who are every bit as talented as some of the guys selling out arenas right now. Can we just go to Nashville and just interview random acts performing at bars? I would be it – w- it would be one of the joys of my life. Last fall, Laney and I went – after the Auburn LSU game, a hurricane was coming through Charlotte. Its path 
was directly through where we live. And so we chose not to drive home and drive straight through the hurricane to get here. We decided to take our kids to Nashville instead on Sunday and Monday to see Nashville. We took them to the Ryman. We took them down Music Row. We took them down 16th Avenue. We took them as many places as we could show them. And the funny part is a lot of you parents out there listening will relate to this. My daughter Mia has an American Girl doll named Tenny Grant. And Tenny Grant is a Nashville country singer. That is what her little character is. And so all these books come with the American Girl dolls. Travis, something you know nothing about yet. Someday you will understand what I'm talking about. And in these books... Tenny Grant is playing the Bluebird Cafe. We took our daughters to the Bluebird Cafe and walked in there, and I happened to get lucky, and there was a, a young man working the counter who was a big college football fan, and you can't get in the Bluebird, man. It's it's hard to get in there. And I just he let us just kind of stand in the foyer for a few minutes and watch one of the, the up-and-coming artists sing at the Bluebird to a packed house, which is all of about 35 people. I don't know how many it is, but it's a very small group. And it was so awesome to see the wonder in my daughter's eyes. And it was just a really fun trip. Anyway, as we're walking down Broadway one day, there's a guy sitting there with his back to us on a bar stool. And it's probably 4 o'clock in the afternoon or something. And I was starting to get thirsty. And he is playing his tail off on this acoustic guitar. And I, I just said to Laney, I'm like, hold on a minute. I just need to take a look at this. And I go in there, and he's playing Country Boy Can Survive by Hank Jr., and he's got this huge number three on the face of his guitar, and he sounded like he should be playing Spectrum Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. They're, I mean, every, they're beating, everywhere. Every they're bar everywhere. Is, has three or four stories, and every floor has somebody performing, so many talented people, and sometimes there's two and three people in there that they're performing for. It's why, it's why I always like to ask artists – their definition of making it because there are so many tiers to that initially making it is oh can i can i get a record deal then you get the record deal and it's like oh can i get a song on a radio you get a song on a radio do you understand how few artists get a song on the radio and then maybe you get lucky and that song starts to climb the charts a little bit and then you get okay man i'm a top 15 i got a top 15 on the radio and then, okay, maybe I'm going to tour. Maybe I get to open for somebody big because I got this single and I can draw in a little bit of crowd and be a really good artist to bring on the road. Oh, now I'm opening with, you know, I'm opening with Luke Bryan. I mean, whomever. One of these massive artists that's selling out these arenas. And then maybe I get my own tour. And then like it, it that, that definition continues to evolve. And it's why I love to ask Kip more. I love to ask Justin more. And I love to ask Chase. And I love to ask Cole. And I love to ask, I've asked everybody. Certainly I've asked Eric that question a million times. But it's just a fascinating place. Fascinating. Do you remember what Kip told us? He was, you know, didn't have heat in his apartment and he was stealing food off of plates at restaurants to just try to make it. And that's, and he ain't the only person trying to do that either. There's a bunch of acts in Nashville trying to do that same thing. And that man has his own tour now. And I'm going to tell you something. When it comes to, to just talent, Kip's, Kip's really, really good. He's a really good writer. He's a really good singer. He's a really good guitar player. 
And, I mean, he, he has his own tour now, but I'm sure knowing Kip, Kip's looking around going, God, dog, what do I got to do to get there? Because he's driven. And, I mean, there's a song he has, and I mentioned it in our podcast with him called Guitar Man. And if y'all don't know that song, if you don't know that song, Kip Moore Guitar Man, go either buy it, which would be my preference, but either just go check it out. Go to YouTube and type it in there, Kip Moore Guitar Man, because it is brilliant. There's a very unique yearning in the delivery. And I loved asking him about it on our podcast. If y'all, if y'all haven't heard it, if you're a country music fan and you haven't heard our podcast with Kip, you should because boys, it was good, man. He was, he was amazing interview. Now speaking, we, we went off on a little tangent there, but, um, that was a big tangent, like 10 minute tangent. I want to hear about your, uh, Sunday afternoon, Marty. How, how did Sunday go? All right. So my Sunday afternoon was dicey. So Laney and I went to see Eric play a country music show back. In fact, two of them. He played three and a half hours Friday night, almost four hours on Saturday night, and let's just say partly cloudy doesn't even begin to cut. At what time did um, you reach partly cloudy on Saturday? Because you did Marty and McGee Saturday, and I don't, you weren't partly cloudy then because you hadn't even gone to sleep yet. So when did no, partly, when no. did partly cloudy get to you? Uh, probably about the time we got up and went to the IHOP. So after the Marty and McGee program, I, I did, Travis is right. We got back from the Friday night show sometime around 4.45 or 5 a.m. And I got, I got up quote unquote at six because we have to set up for Marty and McGee remote. We have to set up this TVU system. It's called. I get the TVU thing set up. I, I haven't hardly slept. I think I, I think I did take about like a 30 minute nap or something like that. And I sit down at four, six forty five or so, I think. And Travis, the first thing I do is get a text from Travis and I'm impressed. All right. So I am. Not even close to partly cloudy yet, because I hadn't got to that level. And then we start the show. And it was the most Marty and McGee show of all time. And, I mean, that thing was off the rails from the jump. Because I don't think I was alone. McGee was partly cloudy, too, for sure. I don't know if I can admit it, but I, I might have been, too. You were partly cloudy, too. You can admit it. That's that's what yeah, we yeah, do. Yeah. So, it, so was, it was a yard sale. It was, as, it was a, a two-for-one yard sale. I mean, it was take it all, man, because we can't figure it out anyway. So once the show ended, I jumped right back in bed. I slept at like one, and then I got up, and Laney and I went to the IHOP. And when we went to the IHOP, I was full-blown cloudy. I mean, real cloudy. Slammed an omelet, came back, took another nap, went back and did it again on Saturday. So that should tell you all you need to know. We got right back in the gas on Saturday. Show was absolutely unbelievable. I don't know how many of his shows I've seen, but it's a lot. And that one was way up top. Greenville brought the smoke with them. It was awesome. And then we stayed up way too late again, and we drove home on Sunday. So the reason that we had to get home early on Sunday was my daughter Mia was celebrating her 10th birthday party. And a bunch of her little classmates uh, from her school were showing up at the Fry's Roller Rink. That's right, the Fry's Roller Rink. I love roller skating. Uh, most of you guys know by now, I have written my first book. It comes out August 6th. It's called Never Settle. And I can't wait for y'all to read this book. I can't wait. I wrote an entire chapter about this roller skating rink. And it was from my birthday last year we went. So <clears throat> here is the picture you need to be looking at. I am well past partly cloudy. I have on some 
fungus-infected skates. Uh, I am full-blown getting the roller derby on, hauling freight around this little wooden roller skate floor. Are you wearing the quads or the roller blades? Oh, I'm wearing I'm wearing quads, oh, man. Wearing, okay. I don't do roller blades at the roller rink. I go old school. I'm just checking. Yeah, I don't wear I'm not wearing no roller blades. I was I'm a, I was a roller deal, blader man. growing up. Uh, I wish I was, but I busted my butt a few too many times. But on on the roller skates, man, I go, and I spend a lot of time with my six year old Vivian, helping her learn and pushing her around. She had one of those little uh little bars that help you learn. <laughs> it looks like and a walker. It looks like around. a walker for kids. It's a walker for six-year-olds. That's exactly what it is. And it lights up and stuff. So that's really cool. And then as it started to thin out a little bit, after we did the pizza, after we did the cake and the punch and the presents and everything, it's like 4.30, maybe 4.15, and the place closes up shop at 5 o'clock on Sunday. They're done. So I go out there, man, and I am digging. I mean, I am going. And I am sweating buckets. I mean, there's like Jack Daniels pouring out of my pores, man. And I, I happened upon Cameron, my 13-year-old son, who, it like, I was going to mess with him. I was going to come up on him and mess with him. And he kind of shifted a different direction. And I, I don't know how we didn't wreck, but I kind of jumped and I landed on my right foot, my only my right skate, and basically did one of those like Katarina Vitt. <laughs> Was she a was she an ice skater? Wasn't Katarina Vitt an ice skater? I don't know. Quan Michelle Quan. Michelle Let's go, Quan, Michelle Quan. Go. She was an ice skater, I think. Yes. So I jump and I land on this skate, and I'm like, "Oh my lord, I'm about to bite it. I'm break my arm." And I stuck it, and I was one footed, <laughs> one footed man. It was serious. So we had the best time ever. So I woke up on Monday morning, and I felt like I got hit by a freight train. Oh, you were sore, and weren't you? I wasn't really sore. I was, my legs were definitely fatigued on Sunday night. I could feel it. But as much like mountain biking and running and all that stuff as I do, I felt it in my hips mostly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm old, man. I just turned 43. I'm a, I'm like, they need to hang me up in the Smithsonian. But, but roller skating, when you told me that, it instantly brought me back to when I was, I think every kid at least uh, went to one birthday party at the roller skating rink. Well, that's look, man. That's why I wrote the chapter. It is. It is and everlasting. I don't. I have so many thoughts on this that I would love to share, but I want to wait until August, and then I will be able to share the way I really feel about going to the roller skating center. Because, man, it's awesome, and there's a lot of reasons it's awesome, and and one specific, very specific reason that it's especially awesome for me, and. By the time we get to August, I will be able to share that on the Marty Smith's America podcast as well. Before uh, we go, though, so it is Monday before the Kentucky Derby's coming up. You're going yeah, there. I'm, I'm covering the Derby this coming week. Your suit game, suit game's tight. You know that, man. My suit but, game's but what, what do we class. got? What do we got coming? Like, give us like a, like golfers kind of you know let the people know what they're going to be wearing each day. What what do we got to look forward to on Friday? Friday's a real big breast cancer awareness day at Churchill Downs. For the Kentucky Oaks. And so there's a huge pink theme. All the ladies have on beautiful pink dresses. Most of the fellas have on some sort of either, you know, nice suit with a pink pocket square and a pink tie or a pink shirt. So I'm going to go. I'm still debating whether I should go. I'm definitely going to wear a pink shirt. I'm definitely going to wear a pink pocket square. And I think I might go blue 
I think I might have uh, wear a blue suit. I have a lot of blue suits. I might wear a blue suit. And then on, I have a suit that I only wear to horse races. I've worn it three times total because I got to cover Justify last year as, as Bob Baffert and Justify won the Triple Crown. Is Bob Baffert telling you you have to wear the same suit again as like is a superstition thing? Bob Baffert is not, but I am a little bit superstitious, and it's a seersucker. It was a good awesome. one. Yeah, I'm wearing that again. I'm going to change up my shoe game this year. Last year I went with kind of an off-white Nike skateboarding type of sneaker, and this year I'm going to change up my shoe game a little bit, and y'all can see what that is on Saturday. But I love covering the Kentucky Derby. It is wonderful, and it's Man, it's just neat to get to cover. It's like you and I are talking about the Masters. What a blessing to get to cover events that are American institutions. Now, is there anything crazier, though? In the stands is a very classy selection of fans participating in the Derby. And then on the infield, it's like NASCAR. It's awesome. It's, 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 I love, awesome the, I love the meshing of it. You get yeah, both worlds. Too. Now, Mint Julep, what's your take on that? Um, I think they're fantastic. Now you got to be careful because if they get too sweet, then they can rail you. But if you make sure and you have more whiskey in it or bourbon, I guess in Kentucky the word's bourbon. You have more bourbon in it than you have all of the mint, and then you're gonna be just fine. So I ask mine. I ask for mine. I, I have one while I'm there, or or two, three maybe. Never had and one before. Oh man, you need to have one. I need to get. I know there. you're a vodka guy. I am a vodka, you're a vodka I, guy. I know. I I was at the Masters. I had an Azalea or two or three or four. So if I go there, I'll have a couple too. I'm, I listen. I don't discriminate liquors. I I will welcome them all in. It's just vodka's yeah. my go-to when I'm at home. Me and Tito hang out a lot. Yep, you and Tito are buds. That's good. Hey, at least you know. Find out where your friends are, don't you? Yes. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen. We appreciate so much your time listening to the Marty Smith's America podcast. This is volume 51. Thank you for listening to Travis and my drivel. Uh, it's a great pleasure for us to get to do this. And without you guys, we wouldn't be able to do it. Thanks so much to our sponsors. Certainly Zip Recruiter. They've been a huge, huge sponsor for us here on Marty Smith's America. Thanks so much to the people that believe in us. Louise has believed forever. We appreciate her being crazy enough to let us do this. Dan Lebetard. Dan has been such a great friend to me, a mentor in so many different ways. He has championed me and my work, and for he and Mike Ryan and, and all the guys to believe in what Travis and I are doing enough to let us be a part of the Lebetard and Friends podcast network is monstrous for us, and it gives us a, a home, and we appreciate that home. Lastly, as I do every week, I want to thank our United States military. We are free for a reason, and our servicemen and women all over this world are the reason why. We appreciate your sacrifice so much, and y'all listen. If you're going through the airport, you're at the restaurant, at the mall, walking down the street, and you see someone with a hat on that says that they're a veteran, stop and say thank you. It's important. It's important because they have they have taken their time to make sure that we're free. They have sacrificed for us in many ways, and it's appreciated. So thank you guys for that. This is the Marty Smith's America Podcast, Volume 51. We will try to do better next time. Y'all be good.